0: Well, good morning, it's wonderful to see you all, this is a spectacular Sunday morning in Louisville, and uh, just a wonderful day to gather together, wonderful time to turn to God's Word, and to turn to the book of Leviticus, where we will be beginning, uh, looking at chapters 13 and 14 this morning. It is an honor to gather to study God's Word, as we seek not only to hear God's Word, but Uh, as we shall see before the session ends this morning, to find Christ in Leviticus in these chapters. Let's pray. Our Father, we're just so thankful that by your Holy Spirit through men of old, you have given us the scriptures word for word, inspired, authoritative, truthful, Without error. Father, we're just so thankful you've given us this word as a sure and certain word. We receive it as a gift of your grace in the name of Christ. Amen. As we think about the book of Leviticus, we remember that it gets that name by the instructions, particularly given to the Levitical priests. These are instructions, laws given to Israel. These are among the laws described in the book of Deuteronomy as being so sweet. These are among the laws that are characteristic of Israel, characteristic of no other nation. Now, one of the things we have seen is that as God has established his covenant people, and as he is giving him his his law, he's setting them apart in a dramatic way from all other peoples. And, And we saw that with the regulations related to food. And something just to think about is that in this era of world history, with people extraordinarily dependent upon the vicissitudes of agriculture and the and and, and the, the, the possibility or impossibility of crops harvest that may be good harvest that may be moderate harvest that may be disastrous food calories were very precious commodities all foods and so for a people to be told that vast categories of what others would eat they cannot eat was to by human terms, create a more precarious existence. So something we just don't think about. If you were thinking here as the UN Hunger Agency, the last thing you would tell people is don't eat vast categories of things that uh, otherwise you might eat. Uh, One of the interesting things that uh, happened during the 1970s when Jimmy Carter was elected president in 1976 is that uh, some of you actually, a few of you are old enough to remember Jimmy Carter or 1976, but uh, Jimmy Carter was famously a peanut farmer from Georgia, and that's a part of his political identity. He, uh, he, in other words, this is someone who is not of the political class. That was, his, that was his identity. He's running as a peanut farmer from Georgia. Well, he actually was. He was a professional politician, actually, but he, he was also a peanut farmer from Georgia. And uh, one of the things that he sought to do during a time of famine in some parts of the world was to export peanuts. Now, this actually wasn't about his business. It was about an industry. And it's also about peanuts. Uh, peanuts happen to be full of calories and uh, of, of energy that, uh, and they're transportable. They, you know, You can dry roast them. You can do things to them such that uh, they can uh, travel over a large amount of time. You can, you can do things to peanuts that would enable peanuts to be packed in Georgia and uh, unpacked all over the world and be edible, except there are a lot of people around the world that have never seen a peanut before. Turns out that there was not widespread celebration of receiving peanuts in many parts of the world. There were just parts of the world where peanuts were too strange, Uh, to be readily uh, put into the diet. We are creatures of habit. We are also, though, creatures of need. And so the reality is, is that people said, we don't like peanuts. But when they got hungry, the peanuts started disappearing. All that to say that in a world of scarcity, you get less choosy about what you will eat. Uh, When you've got very, very hungry, empty stomachs, you will You will eat what you said you would not eat. Israel's told in advance, these are things that you're not going to eat. It sets you apart. And, And again, I think it's difficult for Christians in the 21st century to recognize that this, by all human analysis, would vastly add to the precariousness of Israel's existence. But of course, that's a part of the point. This is God's people, God's covenant people. They will eat. They will survive because of their of their covenant God, the one true God. So we saw when we were together last about purification from childbirth. Now all of a sudden the scene shifts to leprosy. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 13 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and turns, it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded, And the disease has not spread in the skin. Then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the corruption spreads in the skin. After he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing. He shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look. And if the eruption is spread in the skin. Then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Now there's a shocking dimension to the regulations, the laws, the commandments concerning food." This is a more shocking section. The entire category of the law concerning how persons with certain forms of disease in this chapter are to be separated from the community, separated certainly from worship, separated from communion with others, it is shocking, as is what can only be described here as the medico-politico-religio combination. Now, I know that's what you woke up for this morning, but this is not a doctor who's doing the examination. It is a priest. This is a priest acting. Now, just just think of uh, what is kind of the uh, the National Geographic imagination cartoon of someone who was a healer or a diagnostician in the ancient world. They were sometimes referred to as witch doctors. Now, that's a condescending way of putting it, but the other way to put it would be shaman or a a wise man, just a, a person. In other words, in this ancient culture, in this ancient era, expertise was concentrated in individuals who were in the main expected to have only just about almost universal expertise. I trust it is the case that if you are sick or if you have a blemish on the body that you want examined, you do not seek an appointment with the pastor. This is a very different culture. Israel is a unitary culture. Church, state, religion, all in one. The priest is the central figure in Israel as Israel receives these commandments. One who might have a leprous disease is to appear to the priest. But why? Why, why, why is the priest involved here at all? This, this, this does sound somewhat bizarre. And, and, and why cut off from the people? What, what is the intention here? Well, it comes down to a, a principle. I think John Currit has this just about right. That uh, holiness requires wholeness. Now, there's a lot for us to consider here. Just in terms of understanding the Old Testament and the logic of the Old Testament, the logic of God's covenant with Israel. Wholeness and holiness go together. Now, let's just remember the sequence of biblical theology. Let's remember that in creation, God created everything that he made, and of everything he made, he said it is good. So, creation as Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 come to a conclusion, in creation, God has created the good, only the good. There is nothing in creation that is not good. The verdict of God upon all that he had made was good. So, everything that is not good is not rooted in creation, it is rooted in the fall. So just our sequence of biblical theology this is one of the most important distinctions that we are called upon to make right now this is something that Christians in the 21st century have better learn to think fast as you think about what it means to be male and female that is in creation good where you find confusion, that cannot be grounded in creation where there was no confusion. It is grounded in the fall. Same thing is true of any misdirection of the sexuality urge. I think uh, some of you have probably heard me talk about the fact that I, I don't claim to be a prophet, but I had made the prediction in, in writing some years ago that the turn on the, uh, for the normalization of LGBTQ behaviors and affections If it was going to be done from somehow inside a claim of Christian identity, there was going to have to be an effort to try to locate same-sex affection in creation rather than in the fall. And just about a year later, Nicholas Volterstorff, very well-known Christian philosopher from the Reformed tradition, teaching at Yale, did exactly that. He he did exactly that. He he said, "We, we... in order, in order to understand the goodness of these things, we must ground them in creation. Well, here's the thing. You will not find them in, in creation. Uh, making that distinction extremely clear is very important. Israel here, though, of course, we're, we're long after the fall. Israel's called to stand out among all the other nations for its holiness but that holiness, remember creation, that holiness implies wholeness. So you're going to see radically negative judgments about a lack of wholeness. And it, and it can be very shocking to us. It, well, no, it is shocking to us. Why would a man with crushed testicles be kept apart from Israel in worship? That that wouldn't be the church's response. That that would not be our response. Probably wouldn't be our knowledge. But for Israel, it was a matter of making very clear that holiness implies wholeness. Now, by the time, Lord willing, uh, we conclude this hour, we will be considering how These matters are transformed between Israel and the church. But right now, we are looking at Israel. And right now, we are looking at blemishes. And we're looking at priests examining blemishes. A couple of things just from a medical and historical background here. When when most people today talk about leprosy, they're talking about a family of diseases commonly known as Hansen's disease. It is a wasting away of the skin. It is also a neurological disease. In that, uh, the nerves uh, cease transmitting signals to the brain about pain and sensation, and uh, and the circulation begins to fail in these affected regions. And so skin becomes very vulnerable. The flesh becomes very vulnerable. A lack of sensation means that that there's a lot of injury, and and the lack of uh, circulation and recovery means that, that limbs and other tissues can simply wither away. Uh, Hansen's disease was a major issue, particularly in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries in the age of exploration. And it was an infectious disease. And so uh, as you would have people aboard ships and in confined areas, leprosy could become a, a, a great threat. But here we're really talking about Hansen's disease. Leprosy is a far larger category of skin diseases. Now, many of the same problems... Uh, emerge. So, yeah, think of two. Think of two. One would be simply that without any knowledge of germ theory or knowledge of viruses or knowledge of how contagion works, there was an observation that contagion happened. And so someone has these symptoms, and then in proximity to someone else, you, you see this begin to spread. So in the ancient world, before we ever get to the, the people of Israel, and before we ever get to Leviticus, in the ancient world, there was an understanding of a necessity to isolate people insofar as it could be understood that there were certain symptoms that indicated a deadly or dangerous disease, and people were, were, were isolated. There was no idea as to how it was spread, and that continued uh, well, well throughout human history, well through the end of the 18th century. As a matter of fact, modern germ theory waited until the 20th century. But nonetheless, there's more to it than that. There was often at least the assumption that some pattern of behavior may have brought about this particular symptom, and, uh, and an uncleanness of the skin was one of them. Now, we're going to read every single word, but we're not going to look at every single word in terms of what this means medically or, or the rest. You'll notice that the priest makes the examination. And there's a spot on the skin, and, and there are two things he's looking for. Very interesting. He's looking to see if there's a hair in the affected area and what color the hair has turned, or if the hair has turned white. And, and so if the hair has turned white, that means that the area is, is diseased skin. It's actually a pretty sophisticated diagnosis. Think about it. In other words, if, if just let's say a man has, uh, has hair in his skin, and, 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 and by the way, uh, I, I cannot help a grandson moment here. I hope my grandson will forgive me. But Benjamin at one point looked at his arm and he said, one day I'll have hair on my arm and I will be a man. And uh, <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Uh, hair is a diagnostic indicator. And uh, there are certain diseases that cause hair to f- fall out. is uh, often referred to as alopecia in, in the, uh, the medical diagnosis. But if you have a spot on the skin and, and the hair does turn white, that's an indication that there's a deeper unhealth than just a spot on the skin. So in one sense, if, if you were just an anthropologist looking at this, just, just say you would say, well, this is ancient medicine. These are ancient peoples trying to uh, imagine how they, they might diagnose you know, disease and and judge the severity of disease. And just from that anthropological perspective, this would be very interesting because it actually reveals wisdom. There there is real wisdom in the different levels of diagnosis that are made here. But of course, that's not our main concern. Our main concern is there's a declaration between clean and unclean. and, And there's a declaration between the severity of unclean. And so you'll notice the effort is to keep one who might have such a blemish from, the wor- from Israel, from the worshiping community, from, from the covenant assembly, and even contact with family, he's cut off, she's cut off until uh, the, uh, the blemish shall, shall disappear. Or if it's temporary, you'll notice these successive seven day periods in which the person is hopefully not in some kind of long term condition, but until it is clear. And, uh, and inspected and, and approved by the priest this person is to be unclean and then at the end of this period as we just read there's a washing because the clothes are associated with the body and remember people generally had one set of clothing that, that's all they had in a day of scarcity all they had was one set of clothing and so they could not you, so you were not only cut off from the people you could not go out without your clothes so that's, a, that's just something to keep in mind And so, uh, but the washing becomes very, very important. And sometimes repeated washings. And then in verse 8, the priest takes another look. And the worst part is what you see at the conclusion of verse 8, if indeed it is a leprous disease. So that's a chronic disease. And this can become an identifier of a person such that these persons, by the time of the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, are referred to as lepers. Who are lepers, people with leprosy. A chronic disease From which there is no apparent hope of cure. Cut off from their people in this sense. Permanently. Verse 9. When a man is affected with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall look. Now remember, this is someone who has leprosy, according to their diagnosis. And if there is a white swelling of the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, again, this is honesty. This is candor. "...it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of this body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean." So in other words, this is not a temporary issue, This this is a longer issue. "...and if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person, from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease, it is all turned white and he is clean." But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the, lo- the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. If there is in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals... And in the place of the boil, there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot. Then it shall be shown to the priest and the priest shall look. And if it appears deeper than the skin and its hair is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that is broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in it, and it is not deeper than the skin, but is faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And if it spreads in the skin then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or, when the body has a burn on its skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish-white or white, the priest shall examine it, and if the hair in the spot is turned white, and it appears deeper than the skin, this is a leprous disease. has broken out in the skin, in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in the spot and it is no deeper than the skin but is faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn. And the priest shall pronounce him clean for it is the scar of the burn. Now we're going to have to move quickly here, but it, we can move very quickly here. So notice a couple of things going on. So the term leprous evidently covers an enormous span of conditions. So we think of it as a disease. When we see a leper, we think of it as one thing, but just notice the diagnostic scope of what's described as leprous here. It, it could mean infectious or it, it could mean chronic or wasting. But you'll notice that some of what's described here as leprosy would be what we would describe as infection of a wound. So I'm sure you picked up on that. So it's about the exposure of the flesh, and then if that becomes something that continues in its effect, then the priest will declare that leprous. And So you look at that, and an enormously wide scope has come into this. So basically... If by reason of some kind of infectious agent or, or, or virus or whatever, if, 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 if there is a mark on the skin, a disease on the skin, a lesion on the skin, if, if there is a spot on the body, then it is not whole. And furthermore, again, if you're just looking at this in anthropology, you would see the possibility of infectious disease. That's not the point. The point here is theological. The, uh, the entrance of, of the section concerning the burn just reminds us this does include injury and what is most likely of an infection of an injured tissue. But then you'll notice if the scar appears and it turns white, then the priest shall declare the man clean. So that means that the, the injury has healed. All right. Beginning in verse 29, when a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard... The priest shall examine the disease, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease, and it appears no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread, And there is in it no yellow hair, and the itch disappears, or it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave. That is my favorite verse in this. It is one of the hardest to read out loud. Uh, If the itch has not spread... And there is no yellow hair, and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin. Then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not save. Do not shave an itch. And the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. Again, the logic of this becomes very clear. It is an attempt to determine the severity of disease. And in this case, disease of the skin that leads to the loss of hair. But what does this mean? And, and so you know, a priest is making the diagnosis of whether this is ongoing chronic or this is temporary and uh and thus you see this now remember the men of israel are commanded not to shave, so they're, they're growing beards and beards are a protection by the way if you're in the desert a, a, a beard is 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 a form of protection uh it, if it can also be however just like hair anywhere else on the body including the head it can be quite diagnostic you can understand by the way. Just another point, and th- this gets even to where we will be in chapter 15, just wait, about secretions that come from the body. This shows you that there is no distinction between the private and the public in Israel. So everybody knows everything. Someone's sitting outside a tent, unable to be a participant uh, in, in, the, uh, in the work of the day. Something has happened that is covered by the law. Pick up at verse 34, and on the seventh day the priest shall examine the itch, and if the itch is not spread in the skin, and it appears no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair, he is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged, and black hair is grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean clean okay so this is this is completely sensical now it would be the word of god if to us we could not figure out the sense but in this particular context the regrowth of hair in an affected region is the sign of health and so it is a sign once again of wholeness to which god's holy people are called Verse 38, when a man or a woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots on the skin of the body are of a dull white, it is leukoderma that has broken out on the skin, he is clean. So in other words, there's a recognition that there are completely harmless skin manifestations. Described here is leucoderma, uh, white spot, Luke being white, as in white blood cells, leukemia, you can see this, this is uh, the white, white on the skin if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Okay, so this is good news. For, <laughs> this is good news for all men everywhere. And that is that baldness is not uncleanness. Uh, so uh, it's good that's in there. And if a man's head, hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. This is receding hairline right here in Leviticus. I mean, you guys, this is, and You also notice that evidently, yeah. This is, a, this is a pattern. We're catching on here. If there is on the bald head or on the bald forehead a reddish-white diseased area, it is leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Again, just think of the sophistication of this. It's in, God is giving the people of Israel not only a holiness code, But he is also protecting the children of Israel from the spread of infectious disease by identifying the signs that are and are not indicators of such a contagion. You can look at verse 43. Then the priest shall examine him. And if the disease swelling is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of a leprous disease on the skin of the body... He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. The disease is on his head. Verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Okay, I told you, as we prayed this morning, we're looking for christ we're looking for anticipations of the messiah of the savior and we have just landed at ground zero christ dies outside the camp he is crucified outside the camp now hold on to that because a great deal more is coming Where there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or linen garment, in warp or woof of the linen or wool, or in a skin or anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin of the warp or the woof of any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Now this is clothing, it's not a person now, this is clothing. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean, and he shall burn the garment, or the warp, or the woof, the wool and the linen, any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines... And if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed, and if the appearance of the disease area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is in the back or in the front. But if the priest examines and the diseased area has faded, after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the woof. Then if it appears again in the garment the warp or the woof or any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment or the warp or the woof or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you've washed it, then shall be washed a second time and be cleaned. This is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or in the woof, or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. All that on diagnosing leprosy, any kind of disease covered under the category of leprosy, all of that to describe not only what to do with people, identified as a man or a woman, and and specific, incredibly detailed instructions under specific, very detailed contexts. But then not only what to do with people, what to do with clothing. Now, it is unclear exactly how we are to imagine seeing the disease on clothing, but it almost uh, assuredly refers to some kind of growth uh that would be apparent a spot that would be apparent and that means that it would be resistant to washing and again let's just assume for a moment that we are seeking just a merely anthropological reading of the text we're never going to stop there but it is interesting just to say that this is a medical wisdom there is no understanding of virus or disease or transmission by any kind of infectious agent but there is the knowledge that this is a danger that disease does spread and this is a way of isolating that disease but this is not anthropology this is theology and this means god setting apart his covenant people now How then would Israel be different than, say, the Egyptians or anyone else? We have records of Egyptian medical knowledge, and the Egyptians would have been aware of the danger of infectious disease. They, after all, had, uh, like all other ancient peoples, experienced plagues, including plagues of disease, before the book of Exodus describes those that were brought by God with such devastating consequences. But... There was no understanding as Israel's understanding of the theological nature. One could easily understand anthropologically that people in the ancient world thought that someone with such a dread disease was cursed by God or gods, depending upon the, the theology. But God to set his covenant people aside and apart with such specific rules and regulations. This is, this is different, vastly different. And the priest is the agent. Now, the following chapter, which is a very long chapter, has to do with the cleansing of lepers. And I believe for the sake of uh, our understanding of this passage, reminding ourselves that every single word is given to us by God, the entirety is for our good. Let us just hear this. Chapter 14, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command him to take for him what is to be cleansed, two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leper's disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp but live outside his tent for seven days." And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, other parts there without detailed mention. And then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish. And a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering, like the sin offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord." And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. And on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering." And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him. And a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. Then one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot." And the priest shall pour some of the oil... ...onto the palm of his own left hand... ...and shall sprinkle with his right finger... ...some of the oil that is in his left hand... seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil... ...that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear... ...of him who is to be cleansed... ...and on the thumb of his right hand... ...and on the big toe of his right foot... ...in the place where the blood of the guilt offering... ...was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand... ...he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed... ...to make atonement for him before the Lord... And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering, and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him in whom there is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Now, I want to just keep reading, but I want you to note something. I want you to note the change in the verb tense the verb tense is from the one who will be cleaned to the one who is being cleansed. And, and, and so you'll notice this is, a, this is a subtlety within the text. 33, the Lord spoke to Aaron and Moses saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I gave you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, stop. Just notice, notice God's agency here, God's sovereignty here. There. Things will happen that are not merely things that happen. This is the act of God. Then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go to see the house And he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread to the walls of the house in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around. And the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of these stones and shall take the other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, Then the priest shall go and look, and if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease, in the house it is unclean, and he shall break down the house, its stones and its timber, all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered... Then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yam yarn and hyssop. And he shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn, along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird... And with the fresh water and with the live bird and with the cedar wood of hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house. And for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. How many Christians ever read that? How how many Christians ever, perhaps in personal Bible reading, read it and and probably read that pretty fast? How many people ponder what this is all about? But that still leaves Christians with a huge question what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I want to give you two texts upon which to hang the answer to that question. We're going to look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, chapter 21. What do we do with the the laws concerning leprosy? These passages make us yearn for Christ. Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying... I will be clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them okay so who can heal leprosy only God a leprous man appears to Jesus Jesus heals the leprosy. And notice, as we just read through, all, the, technolo- all the, 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 uh, the technique, all the details, all of the complicated orders, you will notice that Jesus fast forwards everything to go show yourself to the priest for you are healed. So in other words, this is something new. This is something beyond Leviticus. This is him showing up instantly, showing the signs of no leprosy. Who can do that? Only the creator in human flesh can do that. And what does it promise? It promises that even as he will heal all our diseases, this horrifying disease that is healed points to the supremacy of the saving work of Christ. But then that's not all. Because one of the strangest things we read is how the, the disease is now a matter not only of the body, but of the clothing. But not only of the body and of the clothing, but of the house and now a house can have leprosy. And, and that leprosy can be basically a mold. A mold is leprosy in a house. And it can be so threatening if that mold grows that you have to scrape all the plaster off of the wall and take it where? Outside the camp. And if it still appears again, you have to tear up the house. And you have to destroy the whole house and take the remains of the whole house outside the camp and burn it. Your house has to be a holy house. Leviticus 14, and particularly as we have seen the last few verses, show up where you may not have imagined in the background to a text. In Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. When Jesus cleanses the temple, he does so in light of the Levitical law concerning the cleaning of a house. Just as we see the passage here reflected in the demonstration of Christ's miraculous power in the healing of leprosy and you'll notice he doesn't say don't don't worry about the law forget leviticus no he says no you fulfill leviticus by going and showing yourself to the priest even as christ did not say i've come to cancel the law but that every single dimension of the law shall be perfectly fulfilled and so likewise the sanctity of a house was crucial to israel it's more crucial to god And the background to what Jesus does in the cleansing of the temple, both early in the Gospel of John, and then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, here as a part of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, this temple is my Father's house. You know how to deal with a mold in one of your houses. Remember that Jesus had also said to the consternation of the Pharisees that he could tear down the temple and build it back in three days. You see, Jesus said, this is my father's house and it will be clean. We look at Leviticus, first of all, to understand Leviticus as the word of God given to Israel first, but also to the church. But given to the church, not so that we would order our skin and order our houses by mold, but in order that we would cling to Christ and understand that what is required of us is to be without spot and without blemish, and we cannot do that. Christ does. And what is required of our house pales over against what is required of God's house, and God's house will be clean, and in the end, it is God's Son, the Christ who does cleanse it let's pray father we're just so thankful for all you have given us in these verses father may they grow in our heart in such a way that holiness appears in us we pray this in the name of jesus christ our lord amen